What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Back-to-back shows with my partner in crime, John LaRocca. What's going on, man? Not much, man. So, for those who are not in the know, we recorded a show last night that's out already, and we went over all of the stuff that we, uh, that, that from a wrestling show perspective, that we wanted to talk about, such as the G1, such as SummerSlam, TakeOver. We talked a little bit about Orange Cassidy and our thoughts on his signing. And uh, we also did a little bit of a UFC 241 uh, discussion uh, based on, you know, what we thought of the card. And as former super diehard UFC fans, uh, you know, just sort of our thoughts on whether or not it was one that we were going to go out of our way to watch. So if you haven't heard that show, go ahead, give that a listen. But uh, you can enjoy this one even if you didn't. So uh, what we're going to do on this show is the main the main course of the meal is because of all the stuff from uh, from the week and us missing a week, we decided to double up on our 1993 raw watching. So we're going to do two back to back raw reviews uh, from August 2nd and August 9th, 1993. But before then, um, I have a couple other quick topics that I want to talk to John about before you know. So so we'll we'll do that first, then we'll move on to our our raw reviews but first i wanted to give a couple shout outs uh to folks who i know uh are listening uh our friend becky who is on the uh on the fight game podcast uh facebook group she's uh she's a really cool person who i met in dallas actually because she and another person who's on that page robin they came out to Dallas for WrestleMania, and so that's when I got to meet them, and then I saw them uh, for this year's WrestleMania as well. They're both super cool. I know Robin goes to like lots of New Japan stuff too, so both diehard fans, shout out to Robin and Becky. And I also wanted to share, hopefully John allows me to share this little small joke with uh, with, with the, the people listening, but we were talking about Kat Zingano today. Yeah. And you're a big Kat Zingano fan. I love her, man. And I wanted to shout out your wife because <laughs> I forget that she's in our fight game group on 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 uh on Facebook and you had sent me a uh, sent me in the Heartbreak Kid David Rubio a screenshot of you basically saying, you know, Kat who was who was let go by the UFC because she's got other projects going and she decided not to take a fight. And the UFC said, okay, well, if you're not going to take this fight, then we're going to have to go our separate ways. And she's holding her ground. And you basically said, you know, stand strong. And then you ended it with like, I love you, cat," or something like that. And then <laughs> your wife read that on our group. And what uh, happened after that? She says me a text. It says, says, you don't even write that about to me on facebook <laughs> or something it was awesome i was dying laughing so shout out to katrina because you popped all of us with uh with that note um, you know cats one of my she's one of my my ma base man i just love her she's a cool chick i you know i think it's kind of stupid that they release her just because she doesn't want to take a fight when she has other things going on i think it's messed up you know they're just trying to bully bully people and honestly i think she'd be best to just a I honestly think it'd be best for her to sign with 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 Bellator or something like that. You know what I mean? And 
and just have fights there and work on other projects that she has going on. I mean, she's really small for the weight class, but, you know, Kayla Harrison needs opponents too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, or uh, Julie Budd maybe or something like that. Fight her is in the same weight class? I thought they were kind of – what weight class is Julie Budd? Is you 145? Uh, good question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't I mean, it's there was the zone. I haven't really been following too much of the Bellator stuff. I kind of want to go to that San Jose show. San Jose shows are always real fun. I, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've gotten the opportunity to, to uh, use the Observer credentials, so you know, I, I'm sitting really close and stuff. But it, Bellator shows uh, in San Jose, or you know, any MMA show in San Jose, I have not been to a bad MMA show in San Jose, and that's going all the way back to strike force days ufc mm-hmm. uh and and uh, now belts are always so much fun i don't know what it yeah. is about our area and, and those live shows but they're always a blast well we have a really good strong fan base for mixed martial arts in here in san jose and they've always fans of ma fans have always come out and supported uh ma fights here so you know i was lucky enough to be my first ufc show was the uh Shogun versus Henderson mm-hmm. classic. Oh, yeah. That whole show was killer. That was a ridiculous show. And I saw my buddy Tom lose. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so quickly, a couple of things that I wanted to get your thoughts on before we move to our raw reviews. Um, late last week, The Athletic, specifically Mike Coppinger, tweeted and broke the news that Anthony Joshua and um, and our buddy Andy Ruiz, who I think I, I think we claimed him the when he won. Um, you claimed him as Italian, even though he's Mexican. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, so he is uh, that. So so basically, Eddie Hearn came out and said that they are going to hold this fight in Saudi Arabia. In the capital city of Ryda, which I think is where WWE has had a lot of their shows in Saudi Arabia, and we've we've spoken out, you know, m- maybe me a little bit more so than you. I've been I was really against WWE working with Saudi Arabia, and now Eddie Hearn is basically saying, "Look, WWE has done this; they're going to pay us more than we could have made in the U.S. in uh, Cardiff, Wales, which was originally where I think people thought that that fight was going to happen." And uh, and now it's happening in Saudi Arabia. So there's a couple of things around this that, that make it an interesting, interesting story. One, Ruiz, when uh, Dillian White, when his drug test controversy came out, basically the drug test f- uh, positive didn't come out until after the fight was over. When that news came out, Andy Ruiz was like, all right, I'm not fighting in the UK, like I like I, if this stuff can happen, like I'm not going to be involved. Uh, so then they basically used that against him, and it was like, okay, well, if you don't want to do it here, then we're going to fight in Saudi Arabia. And so Andy Ruiz is like, well, you will need to pay me more money because I'm fearful and X, Y, and Z. I, I mean, I just think he's he's just trying to flex a little bit of leverage and and get a little bit more money for the fight. Which I mean, if you're getting this huge site fee to host it maybe he does deserve a little bit more money so hopefully they come to an agreement there but this whole story you know it, it 
I, I am so hard. I was so hard on WWE for going to Saudi Arabia, and I would be hypocritical if I wasn't as hard on Eddie Hearn and uh, and Matchbook as as I I am for for this one. And um, you know, they're they're trying to spin the whole thing, and you know, oh, you know, this is this this is because the culture is changing, and you know, people think that women can't go to these shows; they can go to these shows, um, and. You know, this is a rematch to, you know, maybe the greatest upset in the history of heavyweight boxing, and it is one that a lot of people are into, December 7th, I believe. But, you know, just thoughts on on going to Saudi Arabia, knowing what we know, you know, with the WWE deal. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just just shady business, shady money, and and I hope Ruiz, you know, works it to where he gets as much of that money as he can, you know. Yeah, I just think I would like to see WWE pull out of that deal, but the, you know, but you know, let's be honest, they're gonna turn their head and take that money. Oh yeah. Same thing with you know, here in this boxing match, you know, they wanna they see what the WWE is doing and how much money they're getting for their shows, and they can, you know, put on a legit big time sporting event, right? And you know, but they probably get more, you know, from so. You think the <laughs> think the prince will want the uh, the fat Samoan and the, guy, <laughs> and, uh, the guy with the cowboy hat? Oh, you know you, you know they're gonna ask for Muhammad Ali, oh. and someone's gonna have to remind them. You know you know what though that they, they if if Eddie Hearn was smart uh, and I know that he is, uh, they may as well run Tyson out there, right? Like mm-hmm. you know Buster. Buster Doug, yeah, they should bring out you know as many of these old guys and get them a payday as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. He, and then they want the guy with the big hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, they want the they want the the Italian guy, the stallion. Oh yeah, Rocky Balboa. They need to yeah, bring he... him out. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> like yeah. they just bring out Stallone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just they, but he's introduced as like a legit boxer. Like that'd be awesome. <laughs> Um, so this is not the first fight that has ever happened in uh, Saudi Arabia. I think it was last year, uh, Callum Smith and George Groves had a fight. It might have been two years ago, but I remember watching it. One of the early DAZN fights that I saw. And then earlier this year, Amir Khan had a fight out there. So this is the, the biggest one uh, on the scale uh, of, of just what they're doing. So it, it's the most important one for sure. But this is, I have a feeling this is going to be a, a more of a regular thing. Now, what's actually interesting is, you know, DAZN is the broadcasting partner, and they don't really have any say. Like, I think their contract is written up that basically they are just the broadcasting partner, and the promoter calls all the shots and puts the shows together, and, and it doesn't matter where you know, where they are, they just, that that's just how that thing works. I, I don't know if DAZN is officially covering it yet, but I would be so surprised if they, if they weren't, I think they, they have to, they have to be the partner here, but you know, it must you, be so tough on the boxers, like training and then traveling and then being there for probably a week before the fight to train. And you know, you're, you're in a, a, a unfamiliar place. And yeah. That was really tough. And I guess, I, I guess it's both rust uh, both rust. Most boxers have that, you know, disadvantage. So, you know, sure. So they're going through the same thing. It just seems like a damn. That's 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 a tough gig, you know. Especially for Ruiz, he's, you know, making his first 
title fence, you know? So it's, they're definitely they're definitely doing what they can to get that belt back on Joshua for sure. So the other thing I had, and this is not even really news. It's more or less just a conversation that I wanted to have with you. Uh, NFL is, you know, about a, what, three weeks away from being back in the swing of things. The NFL, the biggest American sport out there, you know, for three months, everyone's glued to their television. And one of the guys who was, uh, you know, one of the players who was such a big part of the, the Patriots run, uh, Rob Gronkowski, he retired at the end of the year. A lot of people think that he's just going to sit out a few games and, and basically be ready for the stretch run for the Pats. You know, take sit, sit some games out. Don't take all that punishment. Rest up and just be ready for when we need you. But I had a thought, and, and, I, and I sent Big Dave... Uh, uh, a, a Twitter message, a Twitter DM, and I'm gonna read what I said because I just because so the, the story is is that Gronk is gonna make some announcement in a couple weeks and basically talking about his future. So I reached out to Big Dave and I said, "Hey, if Gronk decided that he wanted to wrestle for WWE, and he is one of the focused uh, wrestlers on SmackDown, do you think it would be a half decent splash, especially?" being a former NFL guy and being a talking point on the Fox football shows. And he responded in very much big day fashion, straightforward statement of six words. It, it would be huge for Fox. And so it made me think like if you're WWE, you're trying to think of, you know, this idea for SmackDown on Fox, you need to make a big splash. They're going to do the SmackDown reunion show uh which is i think the 20th anniversary reunion and that you know that that smackdown stalwart sting is going to be on that show mm-hmm. uh but there there's there's week two and then there's week three and then there's week 45 and then there's week 100 and you can't do a reunion or an anniversary every week and so I was thinking, like, who's out there? You know, we, we're always thinking about, like, who's the next guy? Like, who, who's someone who could actually, you know, change the dial? Uh, we, people don't use dials on their TV sets anymore. But change the channel and, and, and catch a casual viewer. You know, if someone watches SmackDown and they go, oh, shoot, that's Brock Lesnar. Like, I think I'm going to not – I think I, I don't think I'm going to change the channel. I'm going to stick – I'm going to keep it here. But if they see – you know, oh, it's uh, you know, it's Drew Gulak who WWE doesn't really promote. <laughs> They're gonna be like, I don't know who that is. I'm gonna go watch whatever I was watching. But if you have Rob Gronkowski on SmackDown, and you have the Fox NFL guys on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon talking about, well. Rob Gronkowski is now on, you know, WWE SmackDown, who which is also on Fox on, you know, Friday nights at 8 p.m. I think that could be somewhat of an interesting thing for them in a, in a day and age where they're signing up so much talent, but there isn't truly like that one game changer out there for them to sign. I do wonder if he could be sort of like what Ronda was for the women's division and just for the casual eyeballs who were going to give them a shot to uh you know to to check out what she's doing i wonder if he could be that same thing for them on smackdown are you talking about like full time 
Uh, I don't know if he would be full time guy, but well, like Ronda, I mean Ronda's pretty much, I would consider like full time, right? Her yeah, career. I mean she, you know she, she but she was only going to do it for that one year, so she wanted to get all of it out. Uh, you know, I, I think. I, whatever they would need to do would be to smartly book him so that they would attract the maximum eyeballs and and whatever whatever the way that they do it. But you know he probably he's probably not gonna want to work house shows and all that stuff. But just as a, a possible casual fan draw, if he's on SmackDown in the same ring as Brock Lesnar, do you change a channel? No. No, I think I think he, that's a good idea. I think it's a great idea to use a, a celebrity tie-in and someone who can get physical and do something. And you know, Gronk would be perfect. He, you know, he's a very famous football player. You know, he wasn't a, a, a B-level guy. He was an A-level guy. Absolutely, you know, the media. So yeah, I think it'd be a great idea. Him confronting Brock or Brock confronting him, and that'd be interesting. You know, and and I mean, the other. Who do you put him with to get him? I mean, to get him over. You get, I mean, if you're looking for someone new, trying to think of anyone that stands out right now. But you know, but maybe just go with a guy like Brock. That makes sense. And, and so, I think what you can also do is there becomes a gateway. And we always talk about this word synergy, right? You hear this word synergy all the time when these companies become these. You know, they buy up all these other companies. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, we can create synergy. And a lot of times. It doesn't really happen. It's just one, the bigger company just takes control and demolishes the other company. But here, it would benefit WWE to get a little bit of the rub from the NFL. And what if you sign Gronk and it creates a little bit of a gateway for guys who are like, you know what? After eight years, my body is killing me. But I see my good buddy Gronk over here having the time of his life. And I would love to get involved in something like that. Like, I do wonder if now, you know, WWE can't just become a, uh, the place where all the ex-NFL players, you know, go after they're done playing. Mm-hmm. But if you could get a couple of guys who who, who could mean something, uh, I think that would be really interesting. Uh, you remember, you know, Lawrence Taylor and Bam Bam Bigelow. Well, that was not as successful program, in, in, you know, in, in, in a, as, as far as, like, driving – you know, business to WWE because that was a really a down period for them, but it did create a lot of casual uh, people who were kind of checking out LT. What's LT doing? Oh, Bam Bam just like shoved him to the ground almost. You know, and I remember them both being on Howard Stern. Like no one from WWE. You know, Mick Foley would be on at some point later, but uh, but no one from WWE would would Howard Stern doesn't give a crap. But oh, if it's LT and they're promoting WrestleMania, okay, like maybe we're interested, but. You know, I just I just thought of that. Maybe there could be something there, but you know, that's just speculation on my point. I just when when Gronk, when I heard that Gronk was going to make a decision, I thought, huh, if he's not going to go to the NFL, what is he going to do? Maybe he's going to host some TV show or you know do something like that. But I wonder, I wonder how much of a of an alternative WWE it would be for him. Maybe he's going to be a Fox analyst, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he's going to be the new commentator for SmackDown. Oh, oh, jeez, that'll be interesting. I don't know how long that will last. Maybe he'd be like, he'd, be, he'd probably be better than Rob Bartlett, though. Oh my God, what about better than Shane? Remember when Shane was like on Heat? He was the Heat. He was Sunday Night Heat announcer. What about the uh, Mike? Was it Mike Adams or something? Oh, like that? Mike, Ad- Mike Adamley. 
Adam Lee, yes. Oh, yes, man. Yes, yes. Yeah, that poor guy was dealing with so much depression and concussion yeah. stuff, though. I feel bad for, you know, making fun of him back then because he was obviously going through some stuff. But, yeah, he was. he's probably the... He's probably the line when it comes to, like, worst announcers. He's got to be there. <laughs> All right, so let, let's get to the main event of our show. We, we, we you know, just didn't want to get right to it because we had a couple other topics. But really, the meat of what we wanted to talk about are these two Raws that, uh, that we're, we're kind of gearing towards SummerSlam. And we're really also what we're gearing towards is Vince McMahon trying so so hard to make Lex Luger an interesting now I, I kind of kind of interested in your thoughts here I like I look at it as like he's trying to make Lex Luger to be almost as common folk as humanly possible whereas with Hogan you were trying to make him bigger than life and Lex you know Lex looks great but it was almost like they're trying to bring down whatever the narcissist gimmick was and they're trying to flip that on its head so that people can go oh yeah that lex he looks like a pretty cool nice guy it's exactly what it is you know you can't go from a character like the narcissist who's this egotistical you know cocky arrogant guy to you know being the the man of the people without bringing it make you know i think these segments are great honestly and a lot better than the interview he did with Vince like a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty real for the most part. A lot of stuff he said in these interviews, he's he said, and and later on after he's done wrestling, yeah, um, he was talking about you know this all the stuff about being shy and how like people took that as arrogance, but he you know had some you know some social issues and his outlet was sports and like. He's told that story many times, so that was like a, that was that's a real thing. So that's why I really liked these interviews. I think it was smart to chop them up. I think it's smart to how they presented them and you know little segments. Um, I thought I thought they're really good, and it, it it brought people. I think it brought people to get get to know a little better, you know, and humanize them, you know, them being this like narcissist, arrogant guy, and then, okay, he's he's a rare guy. He wants to work hard, wants to win the championship, just like us, you know. So. So what John is talking about are some video packages of, actually not, uh, they're kind of video packages because they, they shoot an interview with Lex and Vince is asking him questions about certain topics and they do these weird camera angles and they kind of like zoom in on certain points that he's making and then when they zoom in, all of a sudden the, the video is black and white. Like they're trying to be super creative uh, just so that it doesn't feel like a boring interview. You know, it is Monday Night Raw, and it's a little bit supposed to be a little bit different. Uh, but it was in um, in both of these shows. You know, right in the middle of the show, it was just uh, you know Lex just being a regular dude and having the same problems as everyone else. And you know, he used sports to to kind of break out of of that shyness and 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 the stuff that that John says. The only thing. You know, it's corny. It's 1993 corny. It's not state-of-the-art 2019 stuff. But the only thing I didn't like about him, and, you know, we won't talk about them again because it happens in both shows, but it made Lex seem, and he even mentioned he's super introverted. And being introverted is not uncool in of itself, 
But I thought that with Lex being so honest about his quietness and his shyness and his introvertedness, it made me wonder, you know, because, you know, I always mention this. I always say that everybody wants to be the nature boy Ric Flair of their thing, like whatever they do, like they want to be the Ric Flair of that. And it's because Rick is like unfiltered, right? It's like Rick is like the ladies' man, and Rick is like the cool guy, and Rick is the thing that you want to do, even though your conscience tells you not to. This is sort of the opposite of that, which is Lex being very responsible, very honest, almost to a fault to where I'm like, okay, I really appreciate Lex, but I don't know if I really want to be like Lex. Yeah, but I think I understand what you're saying. But I think, like, like I said, to get this baby's face turned over, you have to humanize him, and you got to go, you know, one way or the other. And you know, they chose that way, and I, I think it was a smart way. Nothing, nothing is hurting Lex until SummerSlam, and that's when it happens. But. Yep. All right. So, August second, Raw from Alexandria Bay. In upstate New York, are we out of the Manhattan Center? I think so, right? Was it the last taping? That's what our friend Robert said. Yeah, I think it was the last one. And I'm sure Nick, uh, our buddy Nick Mahmood, will will let us know when he eventually listens to this because he, you know, he was living the this. This was his. This was a really good era for him. So he like almost knows all the stuff about what we're talking about. Um, this was like a really bad production. Lighting <laughs> was horrible. Yeah, it was a, it was a, I, I couldn't tell, how how big do you think that building was? It was small, it looked really small, but they, they did a good job at least making it seem big with the camera shots, Yeah. but at the same time, like, that ceiling looked like they were in a warehouse, mm-hmm. um, the lighting was just bad, and it's kind of like, just really, has, yeah, almost like it wasn't like, it was like sh- the shadowy, the, the, with the guys in the ring, and very dark on top it's just it's just it just wasn't that good i mean it's, it's a a rare like production you know snafu by you know by their their great team because they you know they you know we know this is like the downtime of wrestling yeah and i don't remember ever looking this this dingy yeah yeah so the show opens because the main event is going to be Macho Man Randy Savage and Doink based off of the last show where Doink basically challenges him. And so you get a nice little interview with Savage in the locker room uh, to start the show. And um, it's only because Savage is going to be wrestling, it is uh, Heenan and Vince together, which is great. It's a dynamic duo. You take Savage out of that uh that broadcasting team and it improves it because you get more bobby and you get more vince reacting to bobby and not savage you know always having to be like a star in 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 the announcing so i liked the team of vince and heenan together thought it was awesome yeah they were great and you know two-man booths are always the best you know now it's standard three-man or you know three-person i just don't ever, I don't just never understand that philosophy why they need to have that, but but yeah, two man boost is the way to go, and it's easier to play off and just you know two people and and Heenan's his perfect timing. Vince is great, you know, like he's not like Jim Ross great when it comes to drama of a match or something mm-hmm. like that, but like like when he wants to get what he needs to get over and, and play off the Heenan, like he's hit he's he's a hell of a performer, which we we know for a long time. So before Nick corrects us. 
I think there are. Oh, then they go back because uh, yeah, they do go back to Manhattan in September. Yeah, so there's four more shows at the Manhattan Center. Uh, September 13th, September 20th, and then they come back in 1997. I don't remember this. Yeah, it's the ECW show. Okay, and then, obviously, that 25th terrible Raw anniversary show from 2018. Yeah. So, our time with the Manhattan Center is not done, but it is winding down for sure. Yeah, because the Quebecers and Steiners wrestle at the Manhattan Center So speak- September 13th. So, speaking of the Steiners, they face off against Dwayne Gill and Barry Horowitz, and there is now an open contract for a match with the tag champs at SummerSlam. I think when we when we uh, were doing the previous shows, it, I I thought they had actually pretty much said it was going to be Head Shrinkers and Steiners, and then uh, Meltzer had written that one of the Steiner one of the Head Shrinkers had gotten hurt. I think it was uh, I think Rikishi had gotten hurt. And then, so they were out. We talked about it last, the last time where the heavenly bodies were going to come in. And so it's, I, I'm, I'm trying to do the timeline, but I don't think that there's the, the injury issue is that bad. So I think they just switched the match because they, you know, they had this new thing with Cornette. Cornette's coming in. He's going to be with Yokozuna. We have this new, you know, little partnership with Smoky Mountain. So let's take advantage of it. Like, I think that's what happened. That sounds I, that sounds about right, and, and it, it was for the better, even though the Hedgehogs were a hell of a team and they had a hell of a match at WrestleMania uh, WrestleMania Nine. But uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I remember being stoked to hear the heavy boys coming in. I just, I remember just my mind blew mm-hmm. when I heard the, the Vince McMahon say Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Oh you know, yeah, talking oh, about it, yeah. just no, didn't happen then. Absolutely, it was it was so weird, um, and so uh, my my favorite move in this match is you know just Scott Steiner being an absolute freak. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember who he had in the bear hug, but he has the guy in the bear hug, and from the bear hug position, just jerks him over the head with a sweet belly to belly. Steiners are you know when they my memory of their WWE run was that <clears throat> they were a little bit disappointing, but as I watched them weekly i'm like these guys have been pushed you know ridiculously well uh, it doesn't it doesn't end that that way from from my memory but like right now like they're friggin you know they're they're like you know the, the as good as the steiners had ever been in, in wrestling yeah they, they look good here and they all hit all the trademark stuff and and yeah it was a good match you know the problem is like the problem with the steiners they never had that that big program that we saw on tv you know, they you know, they had one big match with Money Incorporated. They have some you know, some good pay per view matches, but after that, like I thought the I thought they took the titles off them way, way too soon. You know. I mm-hmm. thought they could have gone a little longer with them and then after they lost the titles they really didn't do much at all, you know. So the next segment is the, the Vince and, and Lex stuff that we just mentioned. Uh, they also announced for the April, the August ninth there's gonna be a contract signing between Yokozuna and Lex Luger, so we'll, we'll get to see that. Uh, the next match is Adam Baum versus Tony Roy. Um, and, and, so, and so I think, uh, I think, I think, I think Adam Baum hits a clothesline, maybe it's even from the top rope, and they, and they called it a clothesline, but he, like, 
didn't actually hit with like the the arm it was like like a shoulder block like i don't know why i even wrote that down but just it just remind it just like stood out in my memory as far as like yeah i think it was supposed to be a clothesline because i think vince called it a clothesline it was like a more of like a just a shoulder block or something near near the end of that match it, it was it was a clothesline but the way he did it was i think he was a little sh- short mm-hmm. and so he threw his arm out there and basically like you know the wrist hit him and it just didn't look it, it looked bad but also didn't look like as like devastating like the barbarian when he took off took Tito Santana's head off <laughs> yes I remember that um, you know Vince Vince is just trying his damnedest to get Luger over he gives him the name of the American original Lex Luger <laughs> that one that one popped me uh, they promote Tatanka and Mr. Hughes for uh, the August 9th show and that actually is the match that opens up that show and then finally we get uh, Doink and Macho Man so it's now this is so interesting to me right because we're pushing Lex Luger All-American Lex Luger Call to Action Lex Luger Vince just calls him the American original and yet Savage's outfit is more all-American than anything Lex would ever wear in WWE. Like, why do you think that? Why do you think Savage's gear is all of a sudden this all-American guy when the one that you're pushing with this with that uh, with that character is the guy who's going to fight for the championship? And well, because the main angle is the patriarch theme against the evil Japanese villains, you know. So I think that's what it's like. Everyone's coming together. For, you know, the the whole community around the world is coming together. Our patriotic pride. We're cheering on Lex Luger to take out Yokozuna and you know Macho Man's. You know he's playing that role. But yeah, he you know he's all dressed up, red, white, and blue. Uh, it looked cool. But, but I, yeah, I, I but do, so you don't think he's trying to steal the heat in any way? No, I think it was. I, no, no, not at all. I think. Um, like I said, the whole theme is like, you know, we're you know, look at all the guys that look at the Steiners were red, white, and blue wristbands. Um Razor in, in the match next week, yeah. I think, wears one as yeah, well. Yeah, Razor does, you know. Even you know, he's supposed to be a cool baby face and he's wearing these stupid wristbands. <laughs> and you know, the bushwhackers are, you know, like so like everyone's like it's like that you know, like it's like that Dusty Rose booking where where like every promo they're talking about no matter if they're on the program at all, they're talking about Flair and Dusty or something like that, right? They're talking about the main storyline because they, he felt that you know if everyone's talking about it, it's a, it's a, it makes it a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, like I said, all the baby faces are banding together and it's solidarity around the red, white, and blue and defeat Yokozuna and Lex is going to be their guy to do it. So the match is a fair. It's a fairly long match. Um, you know, Doink is is uh, on the offense for a lot of it. Uh, I I can't remember him missing that uh, that butt splash off the top rope before. The whoopee cushion. Yeah, before this, before this, he he misses that here, and the whole thing is, you know, Savage is so worried about the second and the third possible Doink that he keep, you know, he's like looking under the ring, but then he out, he outsmart, you know, the baby face outsmarts the heel here. Savage goes under the ring. 
and people are wondering like okay well what what is he doing oh and you know i think uh heenan said something like you know he's gonna come out the other side and and doink knows he's gonna come out the other side but instead of savage coming out the other side it is the macho midget and the macho midget helps savage actually get victory because of the surprise and the distraction savage actually wins with a small package here so joke is on doink the baby face is smart and savage wins with help from the macho midget now <laughs> it's silly in 1993 to go back to midgets and macho midgets can be on the next show too like what like it's a, i didn't see this coming even though I knew what was going to happen, but th- there was no tease that we were going back to to small, you know, these these little guys. It just shows up, and he's going to help Savage. And I don't know. It's just re- it's just weird that he kind of shows up out of the blue, and now we're just running with uh, with midget wrestling again in 1993. I think the idea is that Macho is going to use all the, you know all the, the the trickery that you know. Doink does to win his matches. He's gonna you know, flip it on him and use some, you know, distractions of another macho man. You know, of course, you know you can't have a a double macho man. So what what you do? You get you get the midget who ends up being Dink. Same guy. Yep. 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 So uh, it is silly and goofy. The match we t- until then was really good, grueling and physical. And you know, Matt Bourne was just a genius at the gimmick. He, you know. The more, like I said, we talk about this every week. The more, I, the more I just every time you watch Matt Bourne as Doink, like he's just he just like makes that like man, this guy's really off. You know, he's crazy. He's he's psycho, but man, he's hell. He's still a hell of a wrestler. And they had a really good match. I, I'm glad they gave him a lot of time. It looked like they both enjoyed working with each other. Doink hits this sweet standing drop kick. Um, the finish, you know. It was goofy, but it made sense for the story that you know they want to tell. Um, I thought it was going to be like a, a schoolboy roll up instead of like a, a jackknife cradle kind of thing, but it was like you know it was kind of weird that like he just kind of turned around, hit an inside cradle, small package, and I just thought that was kind of funny. I thought it, he would have just ran up behind him, but maybe he you know as a baby face he wants to be hit you know face to face and then pin him out. I just thought that was interesting. So. Uh, so so we get that match, and then uh, the SummerSlam report with Mean Gene at uh, on August second. They were four weeks away. They add Mister Perfect and Shawn Michaels with Diesel to that show, which you know on paper really cool match to add to uh, to a SummerSlam show. And so the end of the show is uh, two uh, two non. Actually, there is one more match, but there's two talking segments and uh it just shows you like how good just the planning was on, on this stuff so uh so they show they they Vince basically calls up Ted DiBiase and and the idea is is that they're going to ask Ted DiBiase about the 123 kid they're going to ask him about Razor Ramon and Vince sets him up and DiBiase's like what the hell like what are you doing? And Vince is like, no, we're going to show this footage. I want you to talk about this footage from Wrestling Challenge. It is with you and the 123 Kid. And you have the 123 Kid out. You've basically put him in the Million Dollar Dream. And he's like, I'm out. He's like, if you show this footage, I'm out. I'm done. And Heenan is like, he's like, 
Ted, you know, Ted, don't worry about it. You know, just stay on the line. Don't hang up. And Vince is like, oh, we're going to show the footage. Like, you know, Vince, the baby face, is kind of the dick in this situation. But uh, they show the footage, and I'm like, oh, man, I kind of wanted to watch this match. Um, It's uh, DiBiase. Kid is out, and he kind of does this, like, really... Uh, really lazy cover where he covers him, but he doesn't cover him chest to chest. He basically puts his back like he's like he's uh, backstroking in the swimming pool. And then the one, two, three kid who's supposed to be out. Instead, he grabs, uh, he kind of crucifixes uh, DiBiase's shoulders to the mat and wins the match. But the reason why he's able to kind of get uh DiBiase off guard is because Razor Ramon comes out and so DiBiase's like kind of you know flexing a little bit for Razor so the whole thing was so good just great stuff that they used to do back in the day where it would mean something DiBiase's such a great like you know he's like he's throwing a fit he can't believe that you know this thing happened and then you see the one two three kids so happy Razor so happy and just sets up you know their stuff really well I love the entire thing yeah, that was good. The only thing I was like, this is like Razor's over the top laughing. Like he's trying to belly laugh and, <laughs> you know, horse laugh, whatever you want to call it. He's just like, it's just a little overacting by Razor. But yeah, the segment is really good. And, you know, made, you know, it was, you know the story is that, you know, DiBiase is going to humiliate and destroy the kid who Razor couldn't, right? Mm hmm. And he's going to prove to him, it's just so easy. I'm just going to cover him and pin him. And then all of a sudden he gets. He gets upset, and then you know Razor's so happy that you know Milan embarrassed, and someone else joined him in the L Club with uh, losing to one, two, three kid. So yeah, this whole storyline to get you know was to get turn Razor to babyface has been really, really strong. So then the next segment is a bit of a surprise because there was no introduction of this guy. All of a sudden, Jim Cornette just walks into the ring. Like, just, just walks into the ring, and, you know, Vince is like, you know, what's going on? And Heenan is, like, tripping over himself. Like, he can't get disconnected from his headset, and he's, like, almost fallen, like, trying to get into the ring because he's so happy that Jim Cornette is there. Cornette and Heenan hug. Vince mentions the Smoky Mountain plug, like you said. Heenan's like, this guy is the greatest manager of all time. And Cornette's like, the only reason is because you are not managing anymore. And Bobby's like, no, you're the greatest. And so Bobby just puts Jim Cornette over so huge. And it's just kind of fun to see because, you know, you know, the, 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 the insider wrestling fans that we were, were like, okay, who are the top two managers in wrestling? And some people would say Jim Cornette and some people would say Bobby Heenan. And so it's to see both of them putting each other over was so cool. Kind of like this little inside thing of like, oh, yeah, you know, even though you were on one side and I was on the other side, like we knew, we knew, we know, we know who each other are. I always thought stuff like that was pretty cool. Yeah, well, Bobby Heenan, you know, later on would always put over Jim Cornette as being one of the best, probably the greatest manager. He always thought he was the greatest. And they, you know, during a lot of their interviews together, they did like some shoot interview series. They're talking about booking and managing, etc. There's really good stuff that I learned a lot from and, and used it when I was managing. Mm-hmm. And they have such they have such a mutual respect for each other. And, and it's like what you're seeing in the ring is yeah, it's a little bit you know up them turned up to eleven, but it's just like a real genuine thing that we're oh, witnessing. Yeah. yeah, it was felt it felt so real. So <clears throat> Jim's basically there to say you know. 
I have the best tag team in the world. You have, you guys in WWE, you have the tag team champions, the Steiners. We're the tag team champions, but they're not the best tag team in the world. I have the best tag team in the world. And it's basically a, a, a thing to, to get his team over. And we will see them the following week on, uh, on the August 9th show. So there's a Mr. Perfect Squash. I didn't even, I didn't even catch the guy who he wrestled. Barry Hardy. Okay, that's who it was. Uh, so he was dressed like perfect, and he was kind of flexing a little bit with the uh, with the singlet, and then you know he basically got his got his got his his uh, uh, upcomings or his uh, yeah he, he he just got beat up. So they end the show with more Lex Express footage, and so I dug into the Observer to see kind of you know what what does this mean with you know mm-hmm. Cornette coming to WWE, and you know basically Smoky Mountain wrestling they were like what's going on like you know like what does this mean for us and dave was was writing about how you know jim was already working like so hard and just saying like you know he he lives eats and breathes smoky mountain wrestling 24 7 so how does he really have time to do wwe stuff so that was kind of the that was the wonder at, at that moment was what does that what does this mean for us um, also going on with WWE at this point is they're about to make a bunch of cuts because they're going to be cutting back to one house show per night uh, with double shots kind of going away in the mid-month. So he said, among the names who will either be cut, leaving, or receiving fewer dates and staying under contract, but mostly working indies are the following. Damien Demento, our good friend who we've watched you know over these uh over this whole year terry taylor who's going to go to wcw and be a tv announcer bob backland which is kind of an interesting one because we know that he's obviously you know going to be involved um in the future tito santana mr fuji which is super interesting because fuji is the manager of the wwe (laughs) champion at this point kamala which makes sense uh, Giant Gonzalez, which is another big one because he's about to have, uh, you know, he's been programmed with, uh, you know, one of their main stars. Virgil, Blake Beverly, Doink the Clown 2, Papa Shango, DiBiase, which we've been talking about going to Japan, and then Jim Duggan, who's going to be working part-time. So uh, so those guys are going to kind of be on their way out. Um and then uh, he has this little funny bit in The Observer where he says, while the Jerry Lawler angle on Raw involving Stu and Hellett was a riot, the funniest thing about it was that in reality, when Brett left the ring, everyone thought he was going to save Stu from Lawler, but Brett really had to jump out of the ring to save Lawler from Stu. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That's funny. That's a funny line. All right, so uh, so now we are on the August 9th, Monday Night Raw. Uh, is it from the same building? Yep, same building, same ugly-looking lighting. It really stood out in that, that six-person, six whatever, you know, six-man tag match. <laughs> so the very beginning of this show, they show Lex throwing out the first pitch in a baseball game at what I think at that time was the new Comiskey Park with Chicago White Sox. And, you know, look, Lex is a gigantic bodybuilder who could, you know, who, he, he could do shoulder presses, but he probably can't rotate his arm above, you know, over his head very well because he's so big. 
But he threw the pitch. I thought, okay, like he didn't didn't embarrass himself at all. But the thing that stood out, and this is what I wanted to ask you because you're a little bit closer to this thing, which is he threw the first pitch out with the fanny pack on. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was, okay, I get the fanny pack as a way for pro wrestlers to carry their stuff. It's kind of a look. But when you go out and throw the first pitch at a baseball game, you are standing in front of thousands and thousands of people. Why uh, Why do pro wrestlers specifically love to just show off that fanny pack as if they're sort of like being rebellious about it? Well, first of all, back in 93, it's just was in style then. You know, you know what I mean? Like style that it was a regular thing. Not, nothing that we kind of like, it looked awkward. You know what I mean? Like I think, you know, people were in fanny packs. Um, now you see guys wearing fanny packs. It's because we're like, you know, being cool and old school. That's what we do. Wrestlers have fanny packs, man. You know, like <laughs> they're just being a bunch of marks. And um, what is good about a fanny pack, is uh it was funny because like no one had fanny packs when i was doing uh managing on the indie scene and and then all of a sudden one day they showed up you know and because kafu victor santos one day he was like dude i got this fanny pack and i had to go to this airport and i just you know with the fanny pack i was able to get stuff out and put it in there and so all of a sudden the guys started wearing fanny packs and i'm not not like not like guys like JJ, but mostly like, you know, Nate Rules is wearing it and Kafu was wearing it. But now it's like everyone's wearing it because, you know, like I said, they, they, it's just like a it's a wrestler thing. You know, it's like, well, fuck them. Bring this bring the zoo boss pants back. Right? <laughs> My goodness gracious. But, yeah, it's just silly. It's just over top silly now. But when you are signing gimmicks and stuff, yeah. you know, it does. It does help out, you know, so you have everything on you right there. So, like, there's, there's benefits of it, but I think a lot of the guys, like, I'll talk about, like, the non-stars, jabrones, like, they just think they walk around with their fanny packs on because they think they're, play- cause they're playing wrestler. It's yeah. just no- noise the hell out of me. I, 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 I'm going to have to send uh, Dave Dutra an email or, or a tweet about this because I don't, I, can't, I don't think I've ever seen him wear one. No, no, he's 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 cool. I mean, Jeff Cobb wears it, so he's yeah. But class. but Je- <laughs> Jeff's got a pretty sweet one too. No, no, he does. But like for Jeff, it actually helps him because he has a big guy. Quickly, you know, his arms you got you know, he actually gets this stuff out. But like for the most part, like I said, guys like that are. You know, actually, really selling gimmicks mm-hmm. at their table instead of like, you know, the non-stars that are just sitting there, just trying to look cool, playing wrestlers, talking to their friends in the audience. They're gonna, you know, no. <laughs> um, okay, so let's. Let's trying to get me fired up or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was really interested. I was like, why is Lex Luger, who is the Babyface superstar of WWE trying to show everyone in the world that he just loves his fanny pack so much. I think he just, you know, he's his regular attire back in 1993, <laughs> and he went out there and forgot to take it off. <laughs> but he, threw, he threw, did throw a decent pitch. Yeah, it's totally fine. Totally fine. Um, so Tatanka and Mr. Hughes, like I said, they start off the show, and Hughes's glasses go off his face. And I thought for a second, I was like, 
I hope he pretends he can't see with the glasses. You know, oh, even though they're even, even though they're not prescription. I was like, I hope that he just like he like like the glasses are kind of like his power, and without his power, he's like he's like helpless. But um, anyways, just like that guy from Star Trek. Next yeah. Generation. Yeah. And so was it Levon Burton? <laughs> and, and so and so yeah, Levar Burton. So right when this match, you know, uh, the match starts to actually get going here. Um, they both go to the outside, and I'm like, okay, like this match is picking up. And right as it picks up, then they do the count out. Tatanka gets in, and Hughes can't get in. And then Hugh goes, Hughes goes crazy after this match is over, and you know, starts hitting him with the urn, and then the 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 the, uh, the wreath and all that stuff. But I was kind of like waiting for the match to start, and then right as it picked up, then they went right to the finish. Um, you know, we've been talking about Tatanka for the, you know this whole 1993 and how awesome he's been, and uh, not not as awesome in this match, I don't think. Yeah, he's starting to cool down. Uh, this match had a lot of issues too, a lot of miscommunication. It looked like it was extremely hot in that building, and I even think Cornette made a joke about the air conditioning or something like you know not being on or something because mm-hmm. he was sweating like crazy out there. And I know he normally sweats a lot, but like this was like above typical to Cornette sweating during it you know oh yeah and then oh, this yeah. match here like you see like and there's a lot of i guess there's miscommunication there's one point where you know tataka missed the duck a clothesline and ends up taking like this little like almost like just stops in his tracks gets clotheslined by hughes and then i know it's Tataka's fault because they go right into the spot and mm-hmm. then and there's another spot too and then mr hughes did something stupid i forget what it was i think it was like he was supposed to do the bump with the top row, but he didn't do it at the right time. They had to reset it up again. Uh, I think they were just having a they were just having a bad night. Now it would have been cool if the glasses fell off and he had like white contact. <laughs> Is he blind? I was kidding. You know, you know, something like that. You know, that, I, I thought that would have been cool. But then like he, it's funny that the the glasses go off and he's he's still a big giant man. Yeah. But like he has like a baby face because he's really just a young guy. Yeah, and he kind of and he, like he just his, his his intimidation factor just definitely drops big time. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he yeah. then he, then he becomes a big cat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a this is a a rough night out for both guys here. So uh, back to the you know we're back with uh, the who is Lex Luger and his college and his after college. He talks about wanting to be a lawyer. He mentions championship wrestling out of Florida. And being there for, you know, wrestling there after only three months of training. And coming out of this video, Vince says that the L- Yokozuna better watch out because Lex Luger will probably be the champion come SummerSlam. That was the hardest sell of all the sells from Vince McMahon so far. Yep, he's going for it, man. He got, only got a couple weeks to get this, what, four weeks to get this guy over and get people interested and... And and it's good that it's okay that he says it because he's just the you know you know the commentator the commentator. But if if Luger says that and then you know what happens at SummerSlam, then that's he'll never recover from that. And he honestly didn't really recover from what happened at SummerSlam, anyways. Okay, so do you think at this moment in time, Vince has already figured out that they are going to do a countout finish? Yes, because definitely with the contract signing. Yes. Okay. Yep, uh, and that and that we'll get to that. And that I also thought about that too. Okay, so uh, the Bushwhackers are back. Uh, we haven't seen these guys in a while since they went up into the to the rafters at the at the Manhattan Center. I even forgot who they're wrestling. Uh, but here it's the Bushwhackers and the Macho Midget against 
Blake Beverly, a br- uh, the Brooklyn Brawler, and another uh, midget named Little Louie, mm-hmm. who I, at first I was like, you know, Cousin Luke shrunk or something, but... Um, so little little Louie is, uh, and actually uh, Heenan does call him Hillbilly Jim, but like I, I was I was like I can't I couldn't remember did they do mixed tag? You know, I mean obviously the famous mixed tag from WrestleMania three with Bundy and and Hillbilly and and uh, and, and the midgets. And the only reason I'm saying midgets because I know that's not necessarily you know politically correct these days is just because that's what they called them in 1993. These uh, the wrestlers they were midget wrestlers, so. I thought maybe like they were just going to be in the corner because I couldn't remember if they were doing mixed tags at this point. But nope, both uh, both midgets were in the match, uh, and you know Vince is on this this kick for for whatever reason because he he did this with Lex where he was basically t- telling the GPA of Lex you know Lex is such a smart guy he wanted that's, to be a lawyer that's Jim Ross. Uh, yeah yeah right it's, it's Ross you know oh you know Lex had a three point eight or whatever the GPA was Ross said this all the time in NWA. All the time, you know, he would talk about his athletic credentials, about being kicked out of the University of Miami, and then going to the CFL, then playing for the NFL, you know, and also being how how such a you know smart man he is, and he had a three point seven five grade point average. Like I, he said that so much. So that, that definitely is, just, you know, you know when when Vince probably you know is looking at Ross and saying, how can we get this guy over? And Ross is, you know, giving him stuff that, you know, let's talk about his being smart because it's true. And let's talk about, you know, his, his athletic background. Okay. But then in this match, Vince, Vince talks about Bushwhacker Luke's grade point average. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I was I didn't like, catch that. That's why I was like, what? Like, is he just on? He's just like on this thing about GPA now? Like, what's going on? Like, Bushwhacker Luke. Turn our GPA. <laughs> um, end of this match is that, uh, you know, obviously all hell breaks loose and multiple people are in the ring. And, and finally, the, uh, the macho midget pins the Brooklyn Brawler. Uh, to, to win the match so I don't know this was like whatever it was it was just kind of chaos it was just typical midget wrestling spots with the referee and under the legs the heels and you know um, uh, the heel midget with you know the bay face midget will do something and get away with it behind the referee's back and it's, but then when the midget the heel midget goes for the same thing it always like ends up you know going around him and it's funny um you know, thank God for Mike Enos in there bumping his ass off. And same thing with Brooklyn Brawl. I thought they both look great. They're doing, they're keeping us all together. And it was, it was just harmless entertainment. And like, I'm like, the only thing I was pissed about was like, we had to, I'm like, I would definitely skip this right now. Yeah. But I had to watch it because we were going to talk about it on this show. So, the- and I was also disappointed. The only thing I was also disappointed about as well. I wanted the Macho Man hit the elbow, not the splash. <laughs> that would have been awesome. But probably would have been. But you know, knowing that, knowing what the hips with that a lot of the little people have, a lot of oh, oh hips, yeah, probably yeah, would have yeah, not yeah. been a good good idea. Yeah. So the the one thing that I forgot to mention about the last show is that after uh, Cornette and Heenan did their hug, like Cornette broadcasted with with Vince and Bobby to end that show with Mister per- with Mister Perfect Match. So. You know, we got to hear a little bit of Cornette, who I think, you know, is is uh, 
today the the best color commentator in, in all of wrestling. Like he would be the guy if 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 I wanted someone to do it, he'd be the guy. And and so you had him and Bobby with Vince on the same broadcast. And I was like, you know, I, I don't remember if that happens ever again or often or, or, or whatever, but I was like, oh my God, this is kind of historic. And it's sad that, you know, I don't think Cornette's going to be working for MLW anymore. So, so I don't know. I mean, I got to definitely remember his great work at MLW on these shows because I think he is the best commentator. You know, he definitely up, up there with Morrow, you know, with yeah. could be in the running. Yeah, yeah. And and Kevin Kelly and um so the the next segment is the contract signing. So Jack Tunney, we get a Jack Tunney sighting. He stands there in the background. Uh Jim Cornette comes out with Fuji and Yokozuna, which was not advertised, so this is kind of a surprise. Fuji uh you know needs needs Cornette, who's who's an American, to kind of help him with, you know, to make sure that the Americans don't cheat his guy out of stuff, and Cornette's basically there to read the contract. Um Lex Luger comes out to the most babyface USA music of all time. Uh and and so there's a provision and Cornette basically grabs the contract from Jack Tunney. He's like, I just want to make sure that, you know, what we wanted in there is in there. And Lex signs contract, but the provision is is that if Lex doesn't win the title, he doesn't get another shot at Yokozuna. And uh, this is a the, you know this is something that Fuji Cornette says is something that Fuji wanted to put in, and so he had it put in. Uh, Lex cuts a really good promo from the standpoint of like the the baby face who kind of feels a little bit cheated. But he's not going to let that bother him, and you know he's still going to overcome. It's a little cheesy because Lex is still not super comfortable in the role that that he's in. But I thought it was really good. I thought you know he, it was just the first time where I was like, okay, I can kind of get behind this guy now, based on you know based on what he said. But in the most boss move of boss moves, Yoko watches Lex just cut this like very passionate promo. Yoko looks at him. He pretends like he grabs the sweat off his forehead and just throws it at Lex and walks away. I was like, oh, man, Yoko's such a badass. Yeah, I thought the segment was really good. Uh, Luger cut a hell of a promo. Everyone said that Luger's a horrible promo. Just watch this promo. I think he hit all his points. He was convincing to me, uh, passionate. Um, he had the crowd, everything they, you know, they had written down for him to say it all worked and he delivered um i was just dying when Rene goulet who's one of the you know the agents at the time was out there i see one of the you know the board of directors or who they were there you know talking you know pat patterson's out there too and Rene goulet is trying to get this you know usa check going <laughs> so i just thought that was kind of hilarious but yeah i, I, I thought this was uh, I thought everyone was awesome, and I thought Yoko was great, Luger was fantastic, Jim Cornette was great, and uh, it was interesting that just the first part of this segment when Cornette comes out with Fuji and Yoko, that you know right away Jim Cornette explains like he is just the American spokesperson, Fuji's the manager, I'm just here to you know the help the language barrier, like because you know Fuji was pissed. Mm-hmm. That you know, here comes Jim Cornette to take his spot. 
But, you know, Vince did it for a lot of reasons because one of the main reasons, like, you know, he needed a, a guy that can verbally get this stuff over because Yoko's supposed to be, you know, they, he talked a few times, but he's supposed to be the silent giant killer. And Fuji just didn't have the chops when it comes to the promos. You know, he was good in his role, but not great. And if you have a main event, main event world champion heel who has a manager, that manager needs to be one hell of a talker, too. You know, so that's why they, you know, put Cornette in that role. So the next match was a Razor Ramon versus Dan Dubell. <clears throat> they weren't talking. Return. I liked Dan Dubell a couple weeks ago, like a month or two ago. Oh yeah, but oh yeah. Nice young athlete, bumps really well. God, he takes that veal out of the corners perfectly. I'm like, man, I wish I want to see some. I want to see some indie Dan Dubuque matches where I can really see his work and see how he is. Uh, but yeah, he looked good to me, man. The ma- I mean, the match was a little bit of a backdrop for them to continue talking about the angle. Cornette uh, Heenan's just putting him over like crazy. Um, and interestingly, Vince starts talking about the NFL because I guess the NFL had a game at Wembley Stadium, and I can't remember if it was the first ever game in England or not. Yeah, I, I should I could probably just do the research quickly, but Vince puts over the NFL, the Detroit Lions. I guess maybe it was a tie game or something, only to then say that, oh yeah, but by the way, we had eighty thousand at, at Wembley yep. last year for summer. So. <laughs> Want to make sure that they could say they out true the NFL, just like how I think what the new stadium's coming up in Anaheim, right? For the Rams? Uh, yeah, it's in uh, Inglewood, I think. So, you know, they really want WrestleMania, but Vince doesn't want to go there until after the Super Bowl because they're going to the Super Bowl, but they, he wants to come after the Super Bowl because he wants to say when they announced the WrestleMania attendance that they outdrew the Super Bowl, right? So I'm like, hurry up, because I want to go to that. I know, I know. Vegas, Vegas by. or LA, let's let's do it. It's close by, it's doable, um, you know, so yeah, that'd be awesome. So then uh, the next segment is the, day, well, they do the SummerSlam report, but nothing in there that, that is brand new that we already don't know. There's no new matches. And we finally see... The Heavenly Bodies against Bobby Who and Mike Bucci. And this made me a little frustrated because I thought, yeah, and I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, okay, let's uh, let, let's see how Vince puts over the bodies. And he basically comes out and says, um, you know, that that, you know, if the Heavenly Bodies, you know, if they, if they come out strong, they may pull the upset and, and beat Bobby Who and Mike Bucci. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, you're going to bring in this team and you're going to say that they're the underdog against these job guys? Like, what's going on? Yeah, that was funky. You know, Mike Bucci is a Kim Nova from ECW, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was, that was interesting when I saw him show up. Um, yeah, that was kind of weird. But I mean, he did, you know, really harp on the fact that, you know, if they do beat the Steiners, they would take the the titles to another promotion that hasn't been done before or never, you know what I mean? So that was like, it was, I just was just 
I was going crazy hearing, like, talking about other promotions. Like, talking about Smoky Mountain, which was blew the, my mind. And same thing when the USWA stuff was coming up. You know, definitely things were changing. And it was cool. That I, I like seeing, I like Kelly Boys. I like Top Rich, like Jimmy Del Rey. They were a really good team. They did some cool stuff. A lot of te- double team moves, like, Nowadays, you have tag matches, and you know, no one really does double-team moves. You know, like, well, you know, the Young Bucks do and stuff like that. But, like, for the most part, like, it's just a lot of these guys are just, it's just you know, four singles wrestlers in a tag match situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is some cool stuff, and, you know, they're going to have a barn burner at SummerSlam with Steiners. And uh, there's the, the moonsault to the standing guy where uh... – where I, Pritchard holds up the guy, and then uh, Jimmy Del Rey hits the hits the moonsault uh, for the win. Kind of a you know not not a cool move in today's wrestling, but back in 1993, super cool move. Yeah, I thought it was cool. That's back in 1993 for sure. And so the next thing uh, after they win is they start promoting the Summer Slam Spectacular on August 22nd. So I looked at the WWE Network, and I was kind of looking at what the next shows are going to be for raw because you know, I want to make sure that we're on schedule and you had mentioned that they were going to be off for a couple weeks. So I took a look and so next week's raw we'll cover that like normal, which is the, uh, I think it's the August 16th version of raw. And then they have the next Monday off. So heading into the, like, the last two weeks uh, of, of of Raw to you know to promote the show to promote SummerSlam, they're off TV, so they're off TV for two weeks and then they're off again because SummerSlam is on a Monday and you don't want to run against SummerSlam. So instead of having like the go home show like we know of today, that's that's how that's how WWE does it today. They got the go home Raw, the go home SmackDown, WWE's go home programming outside of the syndicated stuff is the summer slam spectacular on august 22nd which is a full i think it's eight days before the actual summer slam so what we're gonna do is next week we will do raw the following week we will review the summer slam spectacular and then the following week after that, we will review SummerSlam. And then by that time, we'll catch up to when Raw comes back. So that's kind of our schedule as we're going through this stuff. But I just thought it was amazing. Like, can you imagine Vince McMahon today going like, um, yeah, we'll just take the next two weeks off and we're going to put the biggest push for our, you know, our, our, our big three show uh, that's coming up. Like, can you imagine? Well, it hit, it's because of, of the dog show, right? I guess like it's I like yeah. two weeks long or two two Mondays in a row, so they get you know. I remember they would always get booed off for that. Just, I mean, they must have did some damn good ratings. To, I, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. it did. Yeah. So yeah, that was interesting, and yeah, but and it's always it's always interesting too. Like when like pay per views to be on a random day. Like we're also used to Sundays, right, for wrestling pay per views, and then it's all and here it is on a Monday too. I thought that was interesting, but I like the specials before the pay-per-view like i remember the what the one with uh was it wrestlemania 5 and they had like the face-offs and a bunch of interviews leading up to it I thought that was cool so and i remember this summer Slam spectacular very well so i'm looking forward to rewatching it again and 
and you know, leave with Skit Steiners and Money Inc. in the cage match. So the whole thing is on the network. Yoko, yeah, yeah, the whole thing is on the network. The whole show, the whole two hours. All right, cool. So, so we'll we'll have to, we'll, we'll review that in two weeks. Um, and yeah, and that and that was basically the end of the show. Um, they promoted the next week's Raw. Um, I, I don't even remember the matches because I don't I don't think there's anything that good. Uh, one two three here's Diviasi. Oh yeah, yeah, the rematch, and then uh, a giant Gonzalez interview for for whatever reason. Yeah. So that's that, that it just seems like angle alert coming. Um, so just to kind of end this with what was going on uh, in the Observer, Hogan ends his WWE run uh, on the European tour against Yokozuna. So they, you know, he's that's he's basically done. He had the he had the uh, European tour to 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 finish out his run, and he you know we haven't seen him on TV since King of the Ring. So he's completely done. And uh, we had mentioned last show that uh, Savage was moving to Connecticut and that he was possibly going to be doing something related to booking. Uh, And Dave has a follow-up on that, which is he's still sort of unsure what the plan is. But um, he says that Savage has nothing to do... He was told that Savage has nothing to do with the booking, that Patterson isn't retiring. But at the same time... Steve Kerr did an interview saying he was offered a position as Savage's booking assistant when his spot as a wrestler was eliminated. Doink 2. They were kind of moving away from Doink 2. And then Kern said he turned it down and wants to revive Skinner on his independent shows. So I'm very interested and I don't want to spoil myself on whether or not Randy Savage actually uh, does any booking whatsoever for WWE Mm -hmm. because I don't remember but that was it. And there was also a thing about how they wanted more of the guys to move closer to Connecticut be just just to have them all in the same areas, you know, for flights and, you know, to, to try to maximize travel. And, you know, that, what that means to me is like uh, we got kind of got to save money somehow. And, you know, that's one of the ways to do it. But, you know, that that's kind of crazy. I think about that today. Well, you know. I guess a lot of people do live in Tampa, so that's that's kind of what it is. But imagine, you know, if you're AJ Styles and it's like, yeah, you kind of got to move, you know, away from your family in Georgia because we need to save costs on travel or, you know, or whatever, what you know, whatever the reason was to make it easier for the scheduling for these shows. Like, it's like, uh, I'm not so sure about that, buddy. But, yeah, that's kind of what they were doing at that time. Yeah, they would think uh, who's who was it that mentioned like all of a sudden, you know, things are getting tough and there's no like free coffee in the, in the Titan Towers, you know, foyer when you walk in, you know, like the opening, you know, the office when you walk in the building, there's no more free coffee available. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what goes. Those little the little luxury stuff. And and you know today, I mean WWE. You know, we, we talk about today and, and their bad metrics, ratings and house shows and everything. But what is what you know, they all they, they have continually come out as being um, profitable. And the reason is, is because they know how to be lean. They know how to cut back. They know how to cut back on expenses. They know how to, you know, whether it's uh, pyro right at live shows like oh, we got to cut out the pyro because, you know, we need to save money in this way. So the, the main, they're, they're really great at doing that today. And that's, that's, that was the ball game even, you know, when they were in 93, when they weren't doing as well. That's, you know, we got, we cannot be losing crazy amounts of money. So we got to cut back. And that's the way that they did it. 
All right, so we are done. We are caught up. We made up our our last week hiatus by doing two shows this week. Anything else you want to say before we go off the air? Uh, I just, uh, you know, people, you always mention me being the booker of APW. I'm no longer booking for APW. Um, before the last show, I talked to Marcus, Marcus Mack, Marcus Jacobson. I, I informed him that, you know, life is extremely crazy for me outside of wrestling mm-hmm. and i just don't feel like i can give my time or I'll, you know focus on it and you know i really want to do it the best job possible if i can't do it i can't be focused i don't want to you know just show up to just show up and and you know for for no reason i want to you know contribute so and you know i can all, you know i'm sure maybe sometime down the line but right now i just I just need to break from. I mean, I'm not taking a break from wrestling, obviously, right? I'm still heavily involved with our show and watching and all that kind of stuff. I'm not burnt out on wrestling. I just definitely, you know, I just, you know, because, you know, dealing with talent, people hitting you up, going back and forth, phone conversations about booking, you know, it's just, I just don't have the energy for it at this time. So, so yeah, so no longer booking opera wrestling or help booking opera wrestling at this time. So, but still, in like like I said, enjoying my time right now. I love I love doing these shows, and I hope the people listening love them as well. And keep giving us your feedback or stuff you want to cover, and and I want to know. It's funny. I like to see what the audience thinks. Cause I saw Barry Hardy and uh, not Barry Hardy, but Dwayne Gill and Barry Horace team up. I was thinking like, who's the, is the iconic job guys for this, for you know mm-hmm. our people in our group. And I kept thinking, like, who's my iconic job guy? But I have various different ones. Like, my for WWF is probably Mike Mike Sharp, Iron Mark Sharp, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of people probably would say Barry Horowitz. You know, it depends on you know when he started watching. So I'd be curious, though, who's your iconic WWF job guy? I think uh, you know because I watched so many hours of primetime wrestling in in the you know the late eighties. Sharp is definitely up there. Um, what? But you know, I can even go before that. And I guess you wouldn't really call him a jobber because he had lots of competitive matches. But when I was first started watching wrestling, it was like SD Jones, right? Like mm-hmm. he was always the the guy who would get a hope spot here and there, but he'd end up losing and making the other guy look really good in in, in losing. So he's the one that I think of. Cool, cool. And it's funny, I'm not, you know, I'm not using jobber as like an negative thing. I think as a kid, I was just as into the job guys I was in the stars. Like I was just, and it's funny because Tom Castro and I, I remember we were talking about this one time a long, long, long time ago. And we we're like, yeah, we. I just thought they were just like coming up, you know. I didn't understand that they were just there to get beat up, you know. I thought they were just, they weren't as good, but they, you know, they're gonna, you know, work their way up the ranks. And I, you know, I didn't see my Iron Mike shop as like a as like a job guy. So I was like, it's just like a guy that was a heel that always seemed to get beat, but won a few here and there. It's just it was funny, like when, when you're kids, and now we're so smart, they know like right what's going on. But like as a kid, I just thought they were just like, you know just up-and-comers preliminary guys right um uh, is that what you thought too or you thought oh this guy's a geek and he's gonna get beat up or i i just uh i don't even really remember i but they were 
I always knew there was a uh, a geography geography reason because I remember uh, the Duke of Dorchester, uh, Pete Doherty. You you remember Pete Doherty? Oh yeah. And they would always you know they would always talk about where he's from. Uh, Johnny Rods, um, and you know what's also interesting is what I liked about a lot of the guys who were the who were putting over the new guys is they all had a history usually back in the day of being someone who was going over matches like in their prime. And so now they're kind of, you know, at the end of their run and they're, they're putting guys over just to get work or you keep working or whatever. But I always thought that was kind of a cool aspect of, of the business is like these guys who may have been big deals back in the day. They're now, you know, not, they're a little bit older, so they're putting over, you know, these younger guys who are now the stars yeah. of today. Like a Tony Gurria, like former tag team champion. They always talk about that, but he was, you know, in 86, he was there to get new heels over, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, yeah. I was on the show. Yeah, so on the Fight Game uh, podcast group or on Twitter, please let me know. I just want to know who is your iconic WWF job guy or enhancement talent. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, so we will, uh, we will be back next week. I'm about to fly out to Tucson, (laughs) Arizona to get my son moved into his dorm. Uh, second kid in college. I don't know what I'm going to do, but, (laughs) uh, but yeah, I am sure I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll figure out how to be busy as well, but that's what I'm doing this weekend. So we'll be back next week talking about all the stuff that's going on. Thankfully, outside of this UFC show, not a whole lot going on as far as like the big stuff like we've been we've been seeing because G1's done. But I'm sure there'll be still tons of stuff to talk about. So for John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.